Welcome to Chapel Chatter, a KCU campus ministry podcast. I am your host, Jacob Shockey, campus minister at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky. It is our hope that you find this podcast encouraging and challenging for your faith, as we will discuss several different elements of the faith in ministry, not only with KCU students, faculty, and staff, but also our guests who speak in our chapel services. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Chapel Chatter Podcast. Uh, my name is Jacob, and I am so excited for you to be listening in today. Uh, we are officially in the Christmas season. It's December 1st, and I could not be happier. One, we're almost out of 2020. Just 31 days. We can push through it, we can get through it, and hopefully 2021 is a lot better. But we just had our first snowfall today, and it genuinely feels like Christmas time. And, you know, Christmas time offers so much hope. It offers a lot of joy. And although some of us might not be able to travel or see family this year, I pray that this season is a encouraging and a refreshing one for you. I know I am desperately needing it myself. You see... You're going to be hard-pressed to find someone that loves the Christmas season as much as I do. Now, I'm one of those people that says, you know, no thank you to Thanksgiving. I'm good. And I want to push straight to Christmas after Halloween and sometimes even before Halloween. Because, again, I I love the respite that this season brings. I I love the memories of being with family. Some of my best memories are during this time of the year. I love seeing the looks on the faces of my friends and family, especially now my wife when they open the gifts that I was able to get them. I love the big dinners and I love the stories told around the dinner table. You get to see extended family and you know, nothing just matters in that moment. I love the glimmer of joy in otherwise dreary time of the year. The winter's not my favorite, but sometimes I don't even mind the cold because of the season. But perhaps the thing I love most about the season, and I know it's cliche for me to say it because I'm a minister, but I genuinely mean this, is the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus. See, during the season, people who otherwise never go to church often attend church out of tradition. People sing songs about Jesus, whether they believe in him or not. And now for some ministers, you know, I've caught myself in this at times, this can be a very frustrating thing. Because they'll see their numbers spike in the church, and they see the attendance, and they're faced with the reality that many of the same people won't be here the next week. And they often get so frustrated that they come up with clever names for these types of Christians, uh, CEO Christians, meaning Christ- Christmas and Easter only. And often we try to, in an effort to keep these people in the church for the attendance's sake, We try to repackage the Christmas story in a unique way or a captivating way so it can be told in a new, relevant fashion that uh, we'll be able to keep these people in our church. But here's the thing, though, that I've been convicted of, is that there isn't much that we can change or make or try to make more relevant about the Christmas story because... The birth of Jesus is still relevant for us today, and it always has been, 
That's the unique thing about it. It's perhaps the most important moment in the redemptive narrative of the scriptures. And now some people will jump to say, oh, Easter is the crucifixion of the passion. And I get that. But without Christmas, there's no Easter. Without no birth, without Christ actually coming and taking on flesh and becoming hope incarnate, God incarnate, there is no Easter. unique thing about this story is that everything was always pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, and everything flows from it. And for those of you who know me or have heard me preach, you know I'm a big narrative theology guy. I love the story that God is living out through us and for us in Scripture and even today. And if you're new to what, what narrative theology even let me give you some insight from an article I found on Christianity Today that will maybe help explain it a little bit from where I'm coming from. This is what it says. It says, To many people today, the Bible seems irrelevant. It was written in cultures that vanished many centuries ago. The customs and concepts that fill its pages are unfamiliar to us. How, then, is it a message that is supposed to make sense to us today? A recent movement called Narrative Theology sees story as a link between Scripture and modern times. The Bible, after all, is full of stories. Think, for instance, of the fairly brief stories of Gideon or Ruth or Jonah, or of longer ones such as the Exodus, or the spread of the early church, or the overarching historical drama from creation to consummation. Clearly, when the Bible wants to tell us about God and humanity, about sin and salvation, it often recounts stories in which these realities come dramatically alive. So narrative theologians also note that modern people strive for meaning and self-identity through trying to understand their own stories. To find themselves, many investigate their ethnic and historic roots, they analyze significant episodes in their past, and then they seek to accept or creatively redirect those influences. For such people, people, the Bible can come alive with a challenge to consider how biblical stories might interact with their lives and alter their lives. They might, for instance, investigate Paul's letters and acts to discover the religious and cultural roots of Saul the Pharisee and of what it was that transformed him into Paul the Apostle. And in this process, they might find helpful parallels with their own pilgrimages. So that's a little bit of where I come from and why I, I, I genuinely love narrative theology. If you listen to one of our previous episodes when we talked about theology and TV, I, I hit on that a lot in there too. We're captivated by stories, and the ultimate story in Scripture, other than from creation consummation, that meta-narrative, the ultimate narrative or story in Scripture is the story of Jesus. So we often character, characterize the birth of Jesus as the true Christmas story. And if we're going to talk about a story, I, I want to ask you to consider, where does that story begin? And if someone were to ask you, where does the Christmas story begin, what would you say? What would you say is the opening scene? You know, think back for a second to some of your favorite Christmas movies. How do these movies begin? 
or how these stories begin. Two of my favorites are The Grinch, the Jim Carrey version, and Elf. If you haven't seen those movies, first of all, what are you doing with your life? You're probably dead to me. And second, they both start with a narration of our setting and a little backstory. And although short, this opening is foundational for how we understand the rest of the film. And I would argue in the same way you cannot understand the account of Jesus' birth, at least in its entirety in the New Testament, without understanding the Old Testament's opening monologue or opening narration, establishing the setting and the stage for such an iconic moment in Bethlehem. And that's why we're doing this series. These next six episodes are going to walk through six things in the Old Testament that help us understand the birth of Jesus a little bit more and the impacts it has. So I'm really excited to do this because I think the more we can holistically understand Scripture and how it how it is this meta-narrative and it all works together, it can only help strengthen our faith. So again, I, I ask you to consider, where does the Christmas story begin? Many of us are tempted to jump straight to the New Testament and either the opening pages of Matthew or Luke. But what if I were to tell you the story actually begins in Genesis? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sit here and start reading Genesis verbatim to you. But it's true that the story begins here. The first hint of a Redeemer coming to save us is found in Genesis 3.15, immediately following the introduction of sin into the world by man and woman. This verse is what is known to many scholars as the Proto-Evangelium, which is a word made up of two Greek words, protos meaning first, and evangelion meaning good news or gospel. So this verse, Genesis 3.15, the beginning, in a sense, of our Christmas story, is quite literally meaning the first good news or the first gospel of salvation. And listen to what the verse says. This is God talking to the serpent, Satan. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's a weird way to start the Christmas story, right? But you have to understand something. This is the first prophecy in Scripture from God. And the pronoun game here might make things a little bit difficult to understand, so let's rephrase it a little bit. This is a different way to understand this Scripture in light of the entire narrative of Scripture. We could read it this way. And God will put enmity between the serpent, meaning Satan, and Mary, and between Satan's offspring and Mary's. Jesus will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will strike Jesus' heel. See, the Proto-Evangelium sets the foundation for not only the need of the redeeming Savior, such as Christ, but also the promise that he will prevail against sin and all the guilt and the shame that accompanies it. Surely this is the first good news. It's my hope that you see that this small reminder is enough to illuminate you to the fact that God's redemptive story has been in place since the beginning. God has always had a plan. And that plan at times seems convoluted to us 
But if you follow the trajectory of the Redeemer and the birth and the subsequent life and ministry and death of Jesus, you'll see there's a reason for hope this season. See, we often find ourselves wondering if God is active in our lives at all. We question what he's doing. We begin to doubt. But again, I think that seeing the power of Scripture as this meta-narrative allows us to see God who is faithful in his promises. And consider the testimony of the Old Testament. He was faithful to Noah and delivered him and his family from the flood when everyone mocked him. He was faithful to deliver the Israelites from the yoke of slavery in Egypt when all seemed lost. He was faithful to deliver the Israelites during their repetitive sin at the time of the judges. He was faithful to deliver, deliver the Israelites again in exile in Babylon. And in the same way, he's faithful to deliver us from our sin because of Jesus. He's faithful to help us endure our present guilt. He's faithful to help us endure our present suffering as heavenly citizens in a foreign world. And all because he knew from the beginning we would need redemption. And redemption would surely come from his hand and his son. I might get personal for a second. Perhaps the most difficult thing for me to consider or when considering Jesus and myself in light of him is my shame. You know, I study and study these magnificent narratives of redemption and restoration that God's put in place. I read of his great intercessions, his miraculous prophecies, his one and only son, his servants in the early church, and I read these things and I almost always immediately turn in shame because of the sin I still commit daily. I fall into this comparison trap. And I grieve over my insecurities and I grieve over my decisions I make and I feel ashamed to call myself a Christ follower when I see how God has put this amazing story together and I get to be a part of it, but I often squander it. But little things like this in Genesis 3 give me hope. Here's the thing, if you're like me, can I remind you this morning or this evening, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, that the good news is meant to build up and not tear you down. The good news is meant to express love and not hate. The good news is meant to inspire hope and not despair. The good news prom promises a tomorrow when you struggle with today. In the Proto-Evangelium of Genesis 3.15, where our story begins, the first good news assures us of the future in Christ when all seemed lost in the garden. God is faithful to see you through your shame and your struggle. I think another thing that's helped me is empathizing with the shame of Eve and Adam, but particularly Eve, and what they must have felt in the garden. A few years ago, I noticed a picture or a painting on Facebook that was circulating, and Every time I see it to this day, it almost brings tears to my eyes. And I've included it as a graphic for this episode, so if you're listening to it, look at your phone if you can and look at this graphic. And, and I'll post it to our campus ministry social media at CampusKCU if you want to look at it there. But the painting is a painting of a pregnant Mary consoling Eve in the garden. In the painting, we see a sorrowful Eve looking down at the pregnant stomach of Mary. One hand is still clutching the fruit that caused the fall, 
the other hand is resting ever so slightly on Mary's stomach. We see, noticeably, the serpent is still wrapped around the legs of Eve, clutching tightly. And then your attention turns to Mary, who is smiling ever so slightly. One hand is resting on Eve's face, a gesture of consolation. Her other hand is resting on both Eve's hand and her pregnant stomach. Perhaps the most striking and impactful part of the painting, Mary's foot firmly planted on the serpent's head. The same serpent that's clutching tightly to Eve. And as one picture, this one painting, you have a beautiful picture of the fall, judgment, prophecy, fulfillment, and redemption all wrapped up in one. You see in it the good news. To conclude the podcast today, I just want to share with you a blog post from um, I'm going to butcher her name, but um, a scholar named Marge Malshow, and what well, she writes about this painting, and then that, that'll be it for today. So let's know what Marge has to say. She says, Several early church theologians saw Mary as the antithesis of Eve and the antidote to Eve's sin. Even though Adam and Eve both ate the forbidden fruit, and both were culpable of sin, early church theologians emphasized Eve's doubt, disobedience, and pride as being instrumental in bringing sin into the world. Conversely, they highlighted Mary's faith, obedience, and humility as being instrumental in bringing salvation into the world. Furthermore, though, without Mary, the saving significance of her son's humanity is lost. In the person of the Virgin, humanity has opened the way for God to fulfill his work. Mary is properly called, therefore, for the bearer of salvation. A new Eve, and more than Eve, she held in her hands the life by which we receive life. Let me say that again. A new Eve, and more than Eve, she held in her hands the life by which we receive life. And although, while the comparison of Eve and Mary is interesting, it should not be pushed too far. Because of his death and resurrection, it is Mary's son, Jesus, who redeems both men and women, potentially freeing us from the power of sin and death and debilitating consequences of the fall. Jesus is our Savior, the giver of new life. See, in this painting, Mary is a messenger, and the message is all about who is in her belly. O Eve. Mary speaking to Eve in this painting. My mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See that I am with child, through whom all will be reconciled. O Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever. Life without end. May the hope of God and the shalom of God cover you this Christmas season. I pray that you will enjoy these next six sessions together. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters, wherever you are at. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually right now. Shalom. Thank you for tuning into the Chapel Chatter podcast. 
Be sure to share this with your friends as we will continue to discuss a wide variety of topics and experiences in the faith. As always, we hope that this podcast has been beneficial to you in your walk with Jesus and the way you share him with those around you. Until next time, in case no one has told you today, Jesus loves you more than you could ever know, and we do too. Grace and peace. We'll see you next time.